Well, hello, youth. Uh, glad to be here today. For those of you who don't know, my name is Chris. I've been at Lighthouse for about five years now. Some of you may remember me from like previous VBS. I don't know, but it's okay if you don't. Uh, but we will be continuing in the Gospel of Mark uh, this evening. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there. Uh, what I'll do is I will pray for... Uh, uh, our time after you guys get to the passage, and then we'll begin after prayer. We're going to look at some of the verses, talk about it, and then continue on um, through your outline, uh, little by little. So please turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10, and today we'll be looking at verses 13 to 31. Uh, and I'll pray for our time, and we'll begin. Anyone there? Almost there? Almost? Yes? Kind of. Taking your time. Taking your sweet time. Verse 13? Chapter 10? Yeah. Just stay at verse 13. That's all you need to worry about right now. Chapter 10, verse 13. Right. You got the comfy seats? What, uh, what if this is the splash zone? Yes. <laughs> no, just, just kidding. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spit it. Yes. I mean, the high schoolers get the class. Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's begin. Let's let's pray and we'll begin. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being able to sit under your word today, Lord. I pray that you would help me um, to speak clearly. That your Spirit will help us. Um, to understand what we must learn about what it means to follow Jesus, Lord, that we would grow in our understanding and that we would seek to apply it to our lives. We would think through what we're going through right now in our lives, Lord, and see how, um, how true it is um, that you promise something better and greater for those who continue to persevere to follow after you in following you. So help us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want to prove that I am a worthy person. I want to show that I am capable of meeting the requirements for acceptance. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Wow, this guy's so prideful. This guy thinks he's great. Doesn't he know that true greatness means being last of all and a servant to all, which Brother Keith preached on about maybe two, three weeks ago before Thanksgiving? And yes, I know that. Yes, I, know I need to grow as a servant to all, even now, even today. But if we're being honest with our hearts, don't we all want to prove that we're worthy? Of, don't we want to show we deserve to be included in maybe an exclusive group? Don't we all want to be accepted into that special group? We may not think much about this, but this happens every day in our lives. I remember when I was a youth kid like yourself, I wanted to prove that I was worthy of being included with my friends on their team when we were playing a game called StarCraft. Now, this game is too old for you, so you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe you know more new newer games like League of Legends or something, okay? Uh, and if not, then okay, it just shows how old I am, but that's okay. But I really wanted to be included in their group, okay? But guess what? I sucked at video games. I was very bad. I had no skills. I always lost. No good abilities. 
nobody ever wanted me to be on their team. Like, hey, why don't you take Chris on your team? Well, for me, it was a very sad day. It was also an opportunity for me to get better, right? If I get better, then they'll accept me. I was able to get into Ash Ketchum mode. You know who Ash Ketchum is? Yes. No? Okay. Well, he was the original Pokemon master. And in Pokemon, there was this saying that goes, I want to be the very best that no one ever was. To catch them is my real test. To train them is my call. Training Pokemon. And that's the kind of mindset that I had when it came to video games. I'm going to prove that I am good enough and meet their expectations. Then they will accept me. Then I'll deserve to be included in their group. And many times in life, it'll feel like you need to prove yourself in order to be accepted. For example, if you want to get into a top college one day, people say, well, you have to prove you deserve it, right? Maybe prove with high SAT scores. I don't know if they'll still have SATs when you apply for colleges, but for now, they have that. Or you have to prove your, your, your abilities in some other area that like, oh, you're a really well-rounded, outstanding candidate for our school. So you'll want to do a lot of extracurricular activities, whether it's sports or music, or get high grades. Or if you want to be on a school sport team, like basketball, soccer, or baseball, you have to showcase your abilities. You can't be like me, eating donuts, drinking soda on the soccer field while trying to play goalie. By the way, I was a goalie. But I wasn't, well, I didn't always eat donuts. But that's so obvious, right? Why would you do something like that? Well, in our Bible passage this evening, the opposite is true. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to entering God's kingdom, everything is flipped upside down. What do I mean by that? Well, when it comes to following Jesus, it doesn't work like that, like the way it does in the world. It's not about proving yourself worthy before Jesus accepts you. It doesn't work like that. It's the opposite of how me, you, and the world thinks. Jesus teaches that entering God's kingdom depends on none of those reasons people give for why they would be worthy to enter heaven. In fact, early in Mark 8, you don't have to turn there, Jesus told his disciples about his future, future suffering, death, and resurrection. Uh, he said things like, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And this sort of upside-down statement is, not, is something that we're going to see tonight. So in our passage, we will see more upside-down statements from the lips of Jesus. We will learn how to receive the kingdom of God, and we will learn it's not about proving yourself to be worthy. In other words, we're going to learn how to receive salvation. And to do that, we're going to look at this key idea. You're following along in your outline. And the key idea is this. Following Jesus means recognizing our need for him. And the first point we'll look at to prove that is uh, that we, what we need to do is to depend on Jesus like a needy child, uh, verses 13 to 16. So please follow along with me as I read verses 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. 
Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You can imagine the scene as if we're transported back in time to witness what was happening. There was a bunch of people, fathers, mothers, possibly older youth that brought young children or their younger brothers and sisters along with them, all with one goal in mind, to have Jesus touch the children, for the children to be blessed. In our day, we do something similar when we want something, right? Or we want recognition from someone famous, don't we? Parents bring their children to Disneyland. Now, when their favorite Disneyland character shows up at the park, if you've ever been to Disneyland, oh, they rush over with their child, like, oh, come on over, it's Mickey Mouse, it's me. May, I get a, may, I, may my child get a picture with you? Or don't young teenage girls do the same? When they attend a BTS, I don't even know if you know BTS, but a BTS concert, right? And they hope that their favorite band member, whichever boy or guy that is, sees the giant banner that they made, right? hoping to get his attention and for him to maybe blow her a kiss, right? Or, or give that heart signal with the fingers. But the disciples wouldn't have any of that when it came to Jesus. They acted like Jesus' personal bodyguards, right? Security, shooing off the parents with the children. As verse 13 says, they rebuked them. Come on. Back up. Don't you know that Jesus has more important things to do? People need, need healing. They need demons to be cast out. Important people to meet. Move aside. You're bothering him. You're getting in the way of his mission to achieve even greater heights of greatness. Yet in that exact moment, Jesus uses this situation to teach his disciples a very important lesson. The disciples had a lot more to learn about what it meant to follow Jesus. They had a lot to learn about how the kingdom of God is received, as well as who the kingdom of God is for. What should capture our attention? What should shock us and lead us to pause and and think more deeply about Jesus is his response, if you look at verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. I don't know about you, but that's not... Uh, a very common word I use in my everyday conversations. So let me help. When Jesus was indignant, he was feeling or showing a, a right kind of anger. Why? Because something was unfair or unjust. Something was very, very wrong with how the disciples responded. And it's in verse 14 where Jesus makes this profound statement. The reason Jesus gives for allowing the children to come to him freely without any barriers or obstacles, is because of this. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus shows his heart, his love for children. He welcomes young people. And you should be encouraged by that as youth, right? But is that all we need you to learn from Mark's account of Jesus here? Is that it? If that's the case, we can end the message here. And some of you are like, yay! And you can tell your parents that you should love and welcome children like Jesus. But wait just a minute. Is that really all Jesus wanted to teach his disciples? Probably 
Yes, probably not. That Jesus is kind and nice to children? Surely it can't be, because he continues in verse 15. He says, truly, I say to you. So when Jesus says the word truly, it's not because the other things he says is not truthful. He's emphasizing something very important. It's like saying, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. So we would do well to listen. He says that whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. That's a big statement. It means to enter God's kingdom, to become followers of Jesus, and to live with him forever, you must receive it like a child. But a question you might have right now, and when I had to think about it too, was what on earth does Jesus mean by receiving the kingdom like a child? I mean, really, look at me. I'm, I'm older, right? Yes, I'm definitely not a kid. Thank you for that. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. <laughs> That's a big statement, right? Yes. But what is he talking about, really? What does he mean by that? Receive a kingdom like a child. I can't grow younger, can I? Can I? No. Compared to you, I'm old. Over twice your age. Some of you might even tease me by calling me old man Chris now instead of camp boss Chris. But is Jesus talking about age here? Mathematically speaking, you guys do know math, right? A little math. My age only goes higher and higher, right? Number-wise, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's not going to go backward. I can't grow younger by age. So Jesus doesn't mean growing younger in age. But that leaves us with the very same question we started with. In what way do me and you need to be like a child? In what way do me and you need to grow younger like a child in order to enter the kingdom of God? Even though age-wise, we're getting older. So what, what does he mean? How can and should we be like children? And to clue us in on the answer, we have to remember how the disciples treated children back then. They treated children as people who had nothing to offer Jesus. They were treated like those who didn't deserve Jesus' attention. You see, back in that day, when Jesus was speaking, children were not considered the most valuable or useful members in society. Okay? But let me explain what I mean before that, before you throw pencils at me, Bibles, tomatoes. Yes. It's true that children, yes, children are valuable. They're cherished gifts from God, okay? And it's true that generally mom and dad really love and do care for their children in many different ways. They show that. But despite that being the case, children were known as being helpless, as, to be, as being dependent people. In other words, children can't survive in this world on their own. They were small, so they can't physically protect a family or town from like a big man or adult could, right? From bad people or from big, scary animals, all right? To illustrate this, when I was a child, I was dependent on my parents. I was helpless. I didn't know how to wash my clothes by myself. I needed help to get to school because I didn't have a car. I was not old enough to get a driver's permit, I was even shorter as a child. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tall right now, but I was really short as a child, so I needed help from mom and dad to reach the top shelf of the cupboard in the kitchen, right, or the refrigerator. I didn't know how to cook my food, 
And I needed my parents to give me money so I could buy snacks or buy lunch at school. To sum it all up, I was a needy, dependent child. Well, the kingdom of God belongs to people like a needy and helpless child. People who have a heart of dependency and need for God. That's the kind of person that enters God's kingdom. Those who think they are so important that they deserve it will ultimately not enter it. It has nothing to do with your popularity, how successful you are in life. It's not for those who think that if they do enough good things for God and try to be nice to others, that they're going to get a 100% score from Jesus one day. It's not for those who think they've earned a spot in the kingdom, of clu- uh, the kingdom club for awesome people. Not at all. To enter God's kingdom, to have eternal life, we have to receive it as a gift that we don't deserve. We must accept eternal life knowing we, we offered absolutely nothing to receive it. Just, we're just dependent, helpless children. We need the help of Jesus to receive the kingdom of God. Beloved, all of us here, in fact, everyone who desires eternal life must receive it through depending on Jesus. If you want salvation from your sins, if you want forgiveness from God, you must depend on Jesus to grant you that, despite how helpless you may feel. But isn't that the exact, exactly what the good news is all about? That even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even though you're helpless, you have uh, nothing to offer to, to earn a spot in God's kingdom, he gives us entrance as a gift we don't deserve. He moved towards you, embraces you, he, and we simply receive it by faith. He wants you to receive it by faith because he loves you. He loves those who are helpless and dependent on him. As verse 16 says, he took them into his arms and laid hands on them. And that's an expression of his love for people with a childlike attitude, despite them having nothing that they could offer. And that brings us to our second point. You are not as good as you think you are, verses 17 to 22. Follow along now as I continue to read. And as he was setting out on his journey, Jesus setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, "Uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There's only 24 hours in a day, right? There are other things that Jesus has to accomplish on his mission. It was time for Jesus to leave this happy and joyful time spent with children, parents, and disciples. But as he leaves, possibly maybe about to set foot out the door, you know, maybe if he was in the house, He's quickly stopped as he's saying his goodbyes. As he prepares to head out on a journey, he's interrupted, yet by another person, a man. Now, other gospel accounts, like Matthew records that it's a young man. 
Luke called him a ruler in his gospel. So what does this all mean? It means that he was likely an influential young man, someone respected by others, someone that people looked up to, someone young but had great accomplishments at such a young age, like a young man who wins an international piano competition or a young tech and science genius that changes the world, right? A young man who had smart investments and is now very wealthy and able to enjoy fancy meals, have fancy toys, and a fancy house. From initial reading, it seems like he seems to have all the right things going for him, that the world would say, now that's a model person worthy of God's approval. First of all, the man has, was eager. He seemed genuinely excited to follow Jesus. He's not too different from how many of us think about Jesus. We're eager to learn from Jesus, right? We come out to youth group and take time out of our Sundays, like other youth kids sleeping in. They, they might be sleeping in on Sundays or playing video games, but we go out to church And he even looked desperate and in need of Jesus. The text says he ran up and knelt before Jesus. That's a sign of neediness, right? At least it means he respected him. Not only that, he appears to view Jesus positively. He doesn't hate Jesus. He's not cursing Jesus. He views Jesus as, oh, I want to learn from you. You're a good teacher. We also believe Jesus is a good teacher, right? He has genuine questions because he seeks genuine answers. But look at the response Jesus gives in verse 18. Jesus is getting the young man to think more thoughtfully about what it means to be good. Jesus certainly is good for he is the son of God, right? It's not like Jesus was confused. Oh, am I good? Am I bad? I'm the son of God. You know, it wasn't like that. He was sinless. The man only viewed Jesus as a good moral teacher, nothing more. In other words... There was still a a disconnect in his mind. He failed to see Jesus as king. So Jesus challenges this young man to see if, do you really still believe you're good enough on your own? Are you really going to depend on yourself to have eternal life? How does he do this? He brings up God's law. Most of them coming straight from the Ten Commandments. And if you're wondering what Jesus is doing by bringing up the Ten Commandments, he's drawing out this, how this man thinks about himself. He's leading this young man to answer the question, so you think you're good? You think you can meet the requirements to be worthy to enter God's kingdom? And the young man answer essentially reveals this type of attitude that says, yeah, I do. In fact, his actual word says it all. Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Not only is he keeping the commandments in his present life, he's religious in the Jewish synagogue since his youth. He has this outward appearance of a very good moral life, doing the right things. Other people have problems with stealing, speaking what's not true, taking advantage of others. But that's not me. I honor my mother and father perfectly. I never talked about them in anger behind their back or thought otherwise. I never done mean things to my siblings. And guess what? Not only am I good now, but I've done these things since I was young. So that's it, Jesus? Keep the commandments? 
do what the Bible teaches me from all the Sunday school lessons I've had? Remember Bible verses taught to me in children's ministry years ago? I've done that. Whew, what a relief. That's it? I haven't killed anyone. I've never stolen. Now, I know what you're probably thinking right now. Man, this guy is prideful. He's so blind. And you'd be correct. He is. But look how Jesus reacts in verse 21. Don't miss this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Wow. He could have rebuked or admonished this guy's misunderstanding of good. He could have corrected him very harshly like he does with scribes and Pharisees, those who think they're religious. Yet he, he actually shows compassion. His heart doesn't want this guy who is clearly lost to remain lost. Here's a man approaching Jesus wanting, wanting to know about eternal life but still has a lot of unanswered questions. So Jesus demonstrates love by continuing the conversation to help this young man grow in his understanding. Jesus helps the young man see that the law of God goes way beyond the external, way beyond the skin, but deep down into your heart. It goes more than skin deep. He's revealing a particular idol that this man has. Something that rules and controls his heart. Something that he follows after and loves more than Jesus. And something that is a barrier to him. But when Jesus tells him to sell off everything he has, he has and give to the poor so that he may be rich in heaven and follow after Jesus, he's unable to do, do that. He's unable to chew and swallow this challenge uh, that doesn't sound appetizing at all. That doesn't seem like something I want to sign up for. Uh, oh, t mean like eating Brussels sprouts? Oh, I actually like Brussels sprouts, so that doesn't work. Sorry. But Jesus gives this man a wonderful opportunity, a generous invitation out of love where he extends his hand to follow as a disciple. But as the man says in, in verse uh, the verse says in verse 22, the man was disheartened. He was sorrowful and gloomy. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, material wealth. In our day, this rich young man would be the guy that has the Nintendo Switch and all the games that comes with it that the other kids don't have. He would have the PlayStation 5 that a lot of people have a hard time getting right now. The latest Apple gadgets, the name brand clothes. And he had more stuff than most people. And, it, and look, it's not like wrong in of itself to have nice stuff. If Jesus was really calling everyone to just sell everything, then well, every follower of Jesus, every disciple, every Christian would be like homeless and have nothing to survive on, possibly. But Jesus told him to sell everything to test him, to test this young man's heart. And he was unwilling to admit and forsake this idol of wealth that he worshipped. Do you know what it means to worship an idol? It means to think and treat something or someone to be of great value. And to see someone or something worthy of your attention, right? All your thoughts, all your time, all your money. And you're willing to sacrifice. Do whatever it takes to get it. Well, when this man turned away and walked away, he essentially viewed Jesus as someone that's not worth following. He wanted wealth more than Jesus. 
And rather than depend on Jesus for eternal life, he was going to depend on his riches for happiness. He was unwilling to see his own helplessness in saving himself. He would continue to enjoy his wealth. He would continue to think of himself as a good person because he followed the rules, even though there was no change in his heart towards Jesus. For him, it didn't make sense. I'm good enough, right? Plus, I have a lot of stuff I really like, really like. I, I, I don't need Jesus. I don't want to follow Jesus. Me and my possessions, me and my idols are enough. I can depend on myself for being good. And when he walked away from Jesus, his heart said that. I don't need him. Honestly, isn't that how many of us think? Isn't that how some of you often think as you go about your lives? It seems so backward to depend on Jesus, right? Don't you want to grow older and independent? Not have mom and dad tell you what to do? At least that was me growing up. It seems so backwards. I want to make my own decisions. Not be told what you can or can't do. Not be told what you should avoid. Not be told what my priorities should be. Yet Jesus called the rich young man and he, he calls us today to grow younger. To grow backwards like the children earlier that we just read. To grow backwards like a child in our own helplessness. And we are challenged to depend on God rather than trying to live an independent life apart from God. The rich young man thought he was good. He thought all that he accomplished, all the possessions he accumulated was a result of him being good. I deserve it. You know, I've done good for myself. He's all grown up now, doesn't need help. Just rely on himself. And isn't that me and you when we fail or don't pray to God? When we don't ask God for help in our lives? When we refuse to pray and speak to God, it says, you know, I don't want a relationship with him. It means that I, don't want, I want to be independent from God. I, I want to find satisfaction in my idols. Uh, I may not, it may not be wealth like this rich young man, but it can be other things that you maybe desire right now. Other things that you want right now. Other things that, oh, I must have this. And nothing says independence more than prayerlessness. You have a big test coming up at school. Instead of praying, you say, nah, I got it. I can depend on myself. I don't need help. Quite the opposite of childlike need and dependency. The rich man thought he was mature. Good teacher, Jesus. What more is there for me to learn? Where, where else to grow? I already know these things. I'm all grown up and capable now. Yet what Jesus teaches does seem backwards, upside down, that it's mind-blowing. But that's the true lesson Jesus intends for us to learn from this rich man who turned his back away from Jesus. We need a childlike dependency for eternal life. But for me and you, it also means dependency for everyday life. So what should we learn from this? We should learn that when it comes to growing as a child of God or a youth in Christ, maturity is marked by being humble enough to see that you need help. And that drives you to, to pray to God, to ask for help from Him, to not think that you have it all figured out by yourself. It means not thinking, well, well, if I succeed in school, if I win at sports, if I get better at piano, if I get into a good college one day, it's all because I worked hard, I deserve it, I'm good. It's the opposite of that. 
God, I need your help for everything. This morning, to get through this, the day at school, to get through my sports later on, to maybe get through and honor you and how I interact with my parents. All those things. I need your help, God. Now I want us now to look at our third point. You will perish without Jesus in verses 23 to 27. Please follow along as I read. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So after the rich man walks away, Jesus turns his head and He's now focusing on his disciples, his followers. And this is probably a very familiar passage for those of you who grew up in church. Maybe you had a little crafts and children's ministry with a camel and a needle. At least I did when I remember children Sunday school. They did a magic trick on Penn and Teller. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Well, anyways, this is a very clear illustration that Jesus is trying to give because don't we know that... Uh, Camel through needle, not possible. Weren't the needles Come. bigger back then? Uh, yeah, even if there's a big needle, it's not that big that a camel can walk through it, okay? Yeah. So it's something, yeah, so it's something that cannot be achieved no matter how hard you try. And I just, I mean, if you think about it, Jesus could have exaggerated even more. He could have used a whale in his illustration or like, oh, if a whale or an elephant, you know, could fit through an eye of a needle. But his disciples would have understood this illustration better with camels, okay, camels. Because in that desert area, camels were known as some of the largest animals in that region, okay. Maybe in Africa it's different, elephants, right. But in this area, camels were known as some of the the largest uh, animals in that area. And if you're wondering, what area? Palestine. He says it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that's a bold statement. But exactly what did Jesus mean by that? Weren't there true followers of Jesus who were rich and had lots of wealth? Wasn't David a man after God's own heart, a ruler and a king, and aren't kings rich? Wasn't Solomon himself rich and wealthy, along with being the wisest man who ever lived, aside from Jesus? What gifts? Well, he's talking about a real barrier that money, wealth, riches can be and can actually prevent people from entering God's kingdom. Real idols like wealth that people come to love, cherish, and desire, rather than love and cherish and desire God. They would rather not follow after Jesus as their king if it means giving up what they treasure more. You see, wealth and money can be an idol like it was for this rich young man. He thought being good, having a lot of wealth, meant he was good enough to enter God's kingdom. But Jesus teaches his disciple that one cannot save himself. It's impossible to enter the kingdom of God by yourself, and you will perish if you try to live this way. You will die and perish if you follow your own path of goodness, if you follow after your idols and think that's okay. You will perish if you live for your idols and shove God away, a God who offers his son Jesus Christ as the only 
possible man who can rescue you from your idolatrous sin. The disciples, they got the picture. If it's impossible for a rich man like this young man earlier, who followed God's law since his youth, then how impossible it is for every one of us, for everyone else. And that's why the disciples said, who can be saved? They realized how impossible it was to depend on yourself for salvation. That they would fail if they tried to enter by doing so by themselves, to follow rules, doing good works. Those things only reveal that they're trusting and depending on themselves. So if you think God will let you enter his heaven and forgive you of your sin and idolatry because, well, well, one, you're better and, and maybe more nice than other classmates at school or in youth group, you will still perish. Or if you think you've achieved and done a lot of good things in life, then surely God will recognize you're worthy of joining the club of heaven, right? For the best of the best, but you will ultimately perish. Why? Because you did not have a childlike faith and dependence on Jesus. You had an independent spirit. You had a I don't need you type of attitude towards Jesus. And ultimately, he says in verse 27 that if you try to obtain salvation that way, if you think that one day when you die and stand before God, he will be impressed by how good a person you were as a child, as a youth, and therefore let you in, you're in for a surprise. Why? Because it's impossible with man. Not the rich young man, not, nor the poor man, not the adult missionary, not the genius child, not the youth kid who attended church with his parents every week. It's only possible to be saved because of God. It's only possible if you believe that Jesus can and will save you. It's only possible if you believe that you offer nothing, but Jesus offers and does everything. If you're here today and you have trusted and believed that Jesus saves you by his grace and you receive it as a gift, praise God. And I'm glad and joyful that even as youth, you actually desire to follow Jesus. That's great. But young men and women, this passage also applies to your life now, not just the future. If you consider yourself saved and a Christian, it applies to you today. How? Consider this. In these verses, Jesus is talking to his disciples, followers. He's challenging them to reconsider what do you prioritize? What do you see as being important in your life if you're a follower of Jesus? A follower of Jesus ought to consider what they would be willing to give up in order to keep following him. Sometimes following Jesus can seem hard. Maybe you're experiencing that. When other people seem to be more successful better off in life, seem to get ahead while you get left behind, you must know that entrance to the kingdom, the, the, the path to eternal life, is really the opposite of the way the world thinks, how the world runs. It almost seems backwards, upside down. So you don't have to worry about them in the world. The world thinks that success and blessing comes to those who deserve it, those who live selfishly, those who seek their own happiness first. But Jesus tells his followers that the path towards eternal life, the road to the kingdom of God, is marked by trusting God and depending on God, no matter what you might face, day by day, even tomorrow, next week, to the very end. And so even at this young age, it may seem like you're giving up a lot to follow Jesus, right? 
You could be playing games at home right now than listening to this guy, right? You could be watching BTS perform on YouTube. You could be playing sports or getting ding tea or Cafe Peruvia, if you like boba milk tea, with your friends, right? But you're here in church learning about Jesus and the, from the Bible instead. And you're going to talk about Jesus in discussion groups afterwards. And so some of you are probably thinking, is this really worth it? Week in, week out, and well, the answer is yes, absolutely. And that brings us to our fourth and last point, if you're following along your outline, that following Jesus is absolutely better, verses 28 to 31. Look with me as I read. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children's or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Doesn't Peter's words sound a, a lot like what we're thinking for those times we wished or desired we could be somewhere, anywhere besides church where followers of Jesus tend to be, to hang out? Does it seem costly when people at school think you're strange or weird for believing in a guy named Jesus who died on the cross for bad people? Does it seem foolish to believe something about eternal life when everyone else just seems so focused on just living for and searching for what will make them happy? Well, for the disciple Peter, that was on his heart. Depending on Jesus seems like, yeah, losing out on a lot of other stuff that people who don't follow Jesus, you know, they, what they get in life. And it leaves you thinking, is this really worth my time? Jesus could have said, yes, it's better. But his answer is the best. He essentially says, look, it seems like you're giving up a lot. Possibly comf comfortable life land, your possessions, your family. Um, because maybe by following Jesus, people don't want to associate with you anymore. Even parents, friends, right? But here's a great promise for you if you persevere in following Jesus. Look with me at verse 30 for the promise Jesus makes. They will receive a hundredfold now in this time and also in the future. What he says is that if we are willing to admit how much we need Jesus... If we're willing to give up anything to follow after Jesus, to follow after him, no matter the cost, we will be better off, right? We will be rewarded for persevering in faithfulness. We will truly be blessed. What Jesus says is truly meant to be upside down for what we would expect. Many who seem to be on top of the world in this life will be last in the future. And the last shall be first. In other words, you may think it's a huge sacrifice to follow after Jesus because you might face persecution. You might be mocked and teased. But what you gain is a new family, a family of other followers of Jesus, new friends who also follow Jesus. And that's what the church is made up of. Sinners who need Jesus, followers of Jesus who, who banded together to encourage each other and to help each other during difficult times in our faith. And so we have to think about following Jesus is the best investment you can ever make. And it is, it is worth it, even if 
You face difficulty like the disciples will later on. Just an illustration. It might be a bad one, but I'll try. Imagine me, imagine with me for a second that you want to buy a new toy for yourself for Christmas. Now, obviously, I know, like, uh, aren't you supposed to get gifts for free for Christmas? Yeah, I know that. But let's just say you want something so bad, you're not going to expect or count on anyone to get it for you, right? So you're going to buy your own gift for Christmas. So you want to save up a little money each week to buy this really big toy. Maybe it's a, a video game system. Um, Nintendo Switch, PS5. That's all I know. I don't know any other ones. What about the Xbox? Yes, Xbox, okay. Oh, okay, maybe for you it's the Xbox. Okay, think about that for a second. Now, it seems kind of expensive, right? Because you're not working right now. So maybe you do chores around the house for like a few quarters or dollars, right? Well, let's say you could drink boba milk tea and spend $5 a week to drink milk tea every week. $5. That's about how much it costs with boba, okay? But what happens if you're willing to sacrifice that little money each week for the game system instead, right? No boba milk tea this week or no boba milk tea the week after. $5 a week saved, right? $5, $5. Oh, such a huge sacrifice, but I love the boba milk tea so much. $5 a week, $5 a week. Well, how many weeks are there in the year? If you don't, uh, 50, about 50, 52? Yeah, well, yes, 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 yes. So 52, 52 weeks. $5 a week. Uh, do math, please. Can you do math? 260 About 260 in, in a year, right? But how about two years? 260 becomes $520. Finally, you have enough to buy that PlayStation 5 or tickets to watch BTS in concert. Now, it seems like it's not worth it every week when we're missing out, right? Day by day. But at the end of two years, that small sacrifice paid off greatly because you're now able to enjoy this PS5 for a lot longer too. Now, I know my illustration is not the best comparing Jesus to a PlayStation 5, and some of you might tell your parents about this illustration. What is he thinking? But I just want to illustrate this principle. It may not seem worth it now, but the promise stands that it will be worth it in the future, and you will see that for certain in the future. You won't even think about that small sacrifice for all that blessing and joy it is to follow Jesus. And you gain a lot more than what you may think you lost out on. And I hope this is an encouragement for you to continue to follow Jesus. Even though I, I don't really know, like right now, what are you facing right now that's very tough or difficult in life? What is discouraging you? I don't know. But you can bank on not what I say, but God's promise that as you continue to follow after him, even though you face difficult times, that Jesus loves needy followers and he promises to generously give you what's best until one day you will truly be able to experience this eternal life with Jesus in the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just this time that we can study your word. Help us to think more of what it means to depend on you for everything in life, Lord. Uh, depend on you even during tough times, Lord. Um, even when it seems like we are missing out a lot, Lord. Help us to see uh, idols in our hearts where we continue to trust in ourselves and, and, and thinking that it will help us get these idols that we have. 
so that we might, and help us to see our desperate need for Jesus. Help us to see that you forgive us of our sins in Christ, in Jesus. And I pray that we would be able to be willing to share and talk more in our discussion groups afterwards, Lord, and be open to one another because we're all trying to help each other follow Jesus. And with that, we ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.